This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello and welcome to the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, the only podcast with 100% organic giant robots. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Chris Lindland. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing well. Awesome. So Chris, you are the founder and CEO of betabrand.com. Is that right? That is correct. So can you maybe just start by telling me how the site works? Uh, Sure. Uh, When it's working perfectly, everybody knows how that goes. Uh, What Betabrand does is we're trying as hard as we can to say, uh, what if uh, the fans of a brand effectively invented the brand? Which is to say, should they be the designers? Great. Should they be the models? That too. And uh, so what we're trying to do is corral people in that direction the best we can. So the areas where you see the greatest amounts of interactivity on our site are in something called Model Citizen, which is where people become our models. There's like, I don't know, about 13,000 images so far. And uh, the Think Tank, where people are constantly submitting new products for us to make. Um, As a shopper, uh, the way that people can think about Beta Brand is that we try to put out a new product every single day. And those products, to the best of our ability, are guided by a considerable amount of shaping that's done by our fan base. And then when they go live, then they become the stars of the product and model them and so on and so forth. That's cool. I, I, I picked up on the, the part of the, the model where the fans are choosing the things. I didn't realize they were also the models. That's pretty cool. They are. I mean, that's the, that's the thing where, you know, again, I think everybody who listens to this knows the pain of presenting a concept for an internet company and then spending a a long time and a lot of money to try to uh, execute that idea. Uh, And, you know, this is something that we started in 2010 and it's now really starting to look like the big idea, which is that when you have products and you have people sort of present their experiences in them through digital photos or video, it really starts to look like a different product experience. Uh, the best place to see that is really with like our disco products. We get images and videos from all over the world that are like, I don't know, as good as a Red Bull ad, but we don't have to pay for it. And uh, when that happens and happens well, uh, it, it kind of gives you an entirely different flavor of what it's like to own something. And uh, clearly we want to do more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I, I would imagine as someone tasked with shooting these things for like be they video or photos it's like okay how will the customer use the product like where will they be what will it look like all that and this question is answered for you authentically by people who actually are using it yeah i mean uh, the the challenge again and 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 it's i think it when when you can speak with people who are developers again it's the the idea is this and here's how we set about trying to make it work uh what we want to do when we present a new product is kind of just get the ball rolling creatively. And then we try to sit back and act as reporters about what's happening. And so what you said is right. You know, you can spend a lot of time trying to come up with one iconic image of what it's like to own something, or you can let everybody do it for you. And ultimately, they do a better job, not in this sort of pie in the sky, the crowd is smarter than the individual sort of thing. It's that we can't carry the damn pants to Greece and take photos. It's too expensive. Same thing goes with, you know, underwater and stuff like that. And what's really cool is that it still allows us to be good storytellers. It's just enhanced greatly by the fact that people add to it. Mm. 
So can you walk us through um, a product coming to market sort of from birth to all the way to the end so I can buy it? Yeah, yeah. When it works perfectly, here's what happens. Uh, someone submits it to our site and, uh, you know, it's really has to just be a sketch at that point. And, you know, obviously better sketches perform better. So certain people who can draw better have a natural advantage. Uh, sometimes the concept is good enough that that leads the way and that product will get votes. And that's kind of just our way of saying, is it worth it for us to make this thing? Uh, then we make a prototype of it. Prototype, we have to spend some money on it. So at that point, we go ahead and put it into crowdfunding mode, which is just, you know, Kickstarter for clothing. Uh, we have a prototype. We know how to make it. We know what it's going to cost. We know where to source the fabric and all that. And then if people buy enough of them, then we make it. And, you know, it's the simple math is it's about 100 that people buy. And if they do so within 30 days, then we're convinced that it's worth us investing in it. And, you know, obviously that makes good business sense. But what's more fun about it is it actually makes a clothing company more open-minded to what it can sell. And, uh, you know, we have lots of examples of products that certainly a regular clothing company would have shot down because they didn't think there'd be a demand for it. And there's mental demand online for it. So we get we have the opportunity to let the web dictate sometimes what we make. And whenever that happens, it's really funny. I mean, the, the results are greater. We made a product a year ago called Dress Pants Sweatpants that was literally like a prototype. Now, that prototype then became a sort of hot or not web obsession where some people thought it was the, uh, you know, the beginning of the end of Western civilization and others thought it was a godsend. And as a result, we've now sold, I, you know, the number is well over 10,000. But, you know, what's cool and it has everything to do with what everybody does when they test out ideas online is that we're just doing it with clothing. So one prototype begat tens, tens of thousands of uh, of you know, units of demand for a product. And we were able to play it as if it was just an A-B test. And that A-B test then yielded pretty big business for us. Right. And the the initial investment is so small and so easy that you can try these crazy things and see if they get, you know, interest. Yeah, completely. And, and you know, we learn a lot from the interest that doesn't work out either, right? I mean, we, you know, a lot of the things are like, well, is that idea good or are we just not big enough for it to be that popular and so those are the things that we can kind of test out and uh i mean honestly it's what makes the business fun because uh you know we were pretty monolithic for a while where it'd be kind of more like my ideas and my methods of explaining them and once we had enough developers on hand and, and that really is what it is right like once you can finally give people the ability to participate then it becomes a different monster. So we're, we, we began that era of our business about, uh, I'd say, honestly, about six months ago. And the, what's going on behind the scenes is truly more fascinating than what we're showing on our site right now. We're actually trying to figure out a way to broadcast how, how many ideas are coming into our business right now. And how many photos? Like, it's actually a development challenge for us right now to say, what does a fashion company look like in real time? Because nobody else does that, but we have enough inbound content to sort of blow people's minds with that. So that's kind of like going to be one of our big development challenges next year is to say, all right, here's what it really looks like when a clothing company is effectively growing, uh, you know, minute by minute instead of season by season. Hmm. 
Do you have a have a sense for the rough uh, proportion of products that sort of make it through the funnel at each stage? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I, I, that's like the television pilot process, to tell you the truth, where there's like a hundred uh, concepts that are bought, and then uh, and then um, I, I used to sell TV pilots. I, I, I've got a couple to my credit that never made it on air, but it's something like the network buys a hundred, develops ten, and then five make it. It's not that bad of a funnel, honestly. I would say our funnel is probably presently fifty ideas beget fifteen uh prototypes of which 10 make it at this point and it's kind of a good idea like it's a good time to be involved in beta brand if you want to have a product made because we're we we don't have a humongous funnel yet right so we we get about uh 10 to 15 ideas a day so at this point that kind of means that one of them is likely to make it uh so if you ever want to be a fashion designer now is a good time to do it uh, because if if all goes well with our marketing uh, next year, that should be 100 ideas a day, at which point it'll be harder to get your idea made. Yeah, and maybe harder for you to sift through it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we're we're building the back end well enough so that you can actually get a sense of the velocity of, of interest and stuff. So, I mean, again, of course, that's going to be a big headache when, when we're forced with having lots more ideas than we're ready for. But, you know, that's the game. So we... Uh, we have to figure out how to deal with it. Have you had any products that were sort of like surprise flops when you actually did move them into like full production that seemed po- promising ahead of time? Yeah, one of the ideas, and this is again like a, uh, you know, I guess it's it's one lesson that I think a lot of uh, web people know is that sometimes you're not big enough for the ideas that you have uh, or you can't expose enough eyeballs to it. So one thing that we tried about a year ago was T-shirts that were based on New New Year's resolutions where you were supposed to create essentially some graphics of your own on them uh, that were, uh, you know, indicative of what you wanted to do. And, you know, we had it all plugged into Twitter and the web page was beautiful and you could sort of see an ongoing uh, feed of everybody's resolutions that were connected to these shirts. And it was really beautiful, but only uh, 10 or 15 people bought them a day. So it really didn't look that active. Even though it was active relative to a lot of products we have, it didn't put on the performance that it, it that I think would have made it a hit. So that's sort of like an idea that I think it's not before its time conceptually. It's before its time, uh, our brand's ability to direct enough traffic about it, hmm. toward it. Interesting. So are there, what are the, have there been any downs, like unexpected downsides to creating things in this way or do you just feel like you've sort of stumbled onto this awesome model that's working great well the, there's the, the positive and negatives come from the fact that it's like a non-stop publishing machine right so you you have to make decisions very fast and sometimes you don't have enough time to think through the problem uh so we we're very rash in making our products and uh so i think that's a good thing and a bad thing because what happens with being very rash is that the thing that you were obsessed with two months ago starts to look less interesting by the time it finally gets made. Uh, I, I know this is a very roundabout way of answering that question. I would just sort of say it's hard to take people from the clothing industry, which is a business that involves an enormous amount of planning, and then saying, nope, sorry, guys, everything you do at other companies doesn't apply here. We're going to try to run this as if it's a blog or a newspaper or a magazine or a Twitter stream and be that responsive. 
So what's difficult about that is it's it's really awesome from a marketing point of view, but but harder from a manufacturing point of view. I mean, and, and this is from you know a guy saying that we put out a product a day, uh, but getting up to ten products a day is which where we want to get to by the by maybe this time next year is really a lot of work, and uh, it's kind of not the kind of thing that you can just code your way around. You have to actually get manufacturers to pave the way you want. And that's uh, that's not a tech problem. It's actually just sort of a logistics and manufacturing problem. Hmm. Is there a point where you have too many products? Uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll know some point next year. Like I, I, I've, I've believed that it's probably somewhere between three and 10 products a day. Uh, and uh, it's really, I mean, because then you can have a new product for women a day, a new product for men a day, a new bag a day and stuff like that so it's you know but but is there a point where you have like six thousand products and that's just too many to inventory and ship and all that stuff yeah well i mean what we do is we only keep the winners ultimately so uh we'll make a a few hundred of anything or anything that gets an adequate amount of votes and interest and only if it sells through it at a particular rate do we say make more so you know we're i would sort of say of 10 products we put on the site only three of them right now are probably living beyond that initial production run or four. It's so interesting to me as a developer because like you're running a search algorithm for fashion hits, basically. Like you have like these these gating functions where like you filter things out at different steps and then you know you take the winners and you double down on them and cut the losers and it's just it's it's interesting. I like it. I mean and the benefit I think we get is that people also are starting to know that and it, it, it allows us to clear out all the losers, too, because people know that we're not going to make more, which kind of makes them collectible. You know, and, and by loser, I mean a good looking shirt that we just don't want to make more of. So it's not like we put out something that's just a pure turd and nobody wants it because it's already gone through the uh, it's already gone through a vetting process. So all you're doing is buying a shirt that's not super popular, but that you get to be one of 200 people who own it. So you kind of get that. On the sort of the tail end of the product run, the people knowing that they're going to be the only people who really get to own that thing. So then it becomes a special thing and the remainder clears out. Mm. So something about this made me think of like the venture capital industry, which is, you know, you make a you make a bunch of bets and most of them lose, but you make your money back and your profit on a few winners. Is that kind of how your company works as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we have products that are, you know, gigantically successful and they help finance the failures. But the difference though in the VC business is that they actually have businesses that just plain fail and everything we make basically breaks even, right? So uh, we don't make products. I mean, we sell through everything we make. It just some take longer than others. Yeah. So you're looking for the runaway successes. Yeah. I mean, those things help because they, uh, they allow you to optimize your costs a lot better. You know, I mean, you, you know, if if all you had to do is take four photos of something and you can sell forty thousand of them, it's a lot easier than four that sell only forty. Uh, so, like the marketing expenses alone are cheaper. And then if people submit lots of photos as they do, it then becomes kind of a it becomes a machine that builds off of itself. So, so are, is the reason you want to crank up the number of products per day so that you can find these more successful ones faster? Is that the rough idea? Uh, I'm kind of just a glutton for the pace, to tell you the truth. Obviously, from a business point of view, that's that's fantastic. 
but for me, it's so interesting. So, you know, let's go back to a few years ago when it first started, we were able to put out one new product a week and that was awesome. And now that it's up to five to seven a week, there's just new ideas nonstop. And what's fascinating about that is that you finally have the web kind of taking over for you. And uh, I think that that's a, that's a point that all technology companies are very lucky to reach at a certain point. And some reach it really quickly. I'm sure that there are iPhone apps that the web just sort of grabs hold of and goes bananas over in like 24 hours. But uh, for a clothing company, it's more deliberate because we got to make stuff. But now I sort of feel like it's not necessarily just the ideas of us who work in the office, but a broader collection of fans and voices from around the world that are making that they're taking the business and doing bigger things with it. So I can't I'm so excited to watch that happening all the time. Like I I walk by our prototype area and I'm like, what's that? You know, like that's that's I I didn't even know that existed. And so for me. I can't believe what it'll feel like if we can actually get that 10x experience on things a year from now, because then it'll just be part of life to be like, you know, you, it's like you reach into the river and pull out a new product and you're like, whoa, what, tell me about this one. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's that's the that, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. It's it's a nice place to be where you can empower your users and make them feel good about what they're doing so that they want to do things that, you know, help your your business, actually. If, 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 if that's what, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting is this, is that think about other brands that we know. I mean, imagine if Air Jordan wasn't just the story of Michael Jordan, but everybody who owned it, uh, that would be pretty fascinating. And ultimately they're going to have to make that decision because Michael Jordan himself is going to be kind of old and all the archival images that they have of him are going to be of him wearing kind of less fashionable things. Imagine 30 years from now. But what they have is they have this huge culture that was created outside the brand of people waiting overnight to get them, of people fighting to get the shoes and, you know, the negative and the positive. You imagine that and then it's an entire world of experience that can come with things. So I, if there's anything that I'm evangelical about it, is this sort of wait and see approach when lots of bigger brands start selling stuff the way we do. Uh, Because I can't believe the quality of the footage we're getting from all over the world of people owning our stuff and sort of showing everybody how to wear it. And that's the, that's sort of the empowering part. Um, but it kind of, it's mind bending. You know, I'm used to now getting unbelievable base jumping footage of people wearing our disco stuff. And I'm actually used to it now. We, we get the, the base jumping community got into our disco stuff and we receive incredible clips. Like, I don't know about every 10 to 15 days. And, you know, for me, that's like I get to go traveling every time. I'm like, where are we at this time? Okay, over a shipwreck in Greece. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And that, that that almost couldn't have been a market that you would have, like, chosen and targeted and built stuff for, you know, intentionally, right, at a time? No. I mean, it's 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 kind of like one of those unmarketable markets uh, that, that, that uh, displays itself to you. And then you're like, all right, I, I still don't know really how to market to you all other than to kind of celebrate what you do and let you do it for us. So that's what's been pretty neat there. So uh, what does your day-to-day work look like? Um, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, here, here's, here's something that I saw when I was working at another startup uh, that I tried to create here. So I worked as the head of business development for an online travel company back in the early 2000s. And it was a very sort of cubed, quiet place. I mean, you know, 
did pretty good business, but it didn't have like, it didn't feel like a war room in any way. And a good friend of mine, she was an editor for a small local newspaper. And it's, it's funny, like if you were to look at the amount of money, like that startup, that internet company raised, they raised like a hundred million dollars, right? Had a big office and it was just dead quiet. And then there was a newsroom that probably did, you know, hardly anything. It was like a small local newspaper, but it was a war room the entire time. Like people were just yelling at each other, foul language, people smoking outside because the pressure was so intense. And I was like, I want to see that for an internet company because it it had that sense that by the end of every day, you experience something at work. And so at Betabrand, there's there's creation going on at all times. And then we're reporting on that creation and it's very deadline driven so that everybody who works here, even if it was a bad week, they can, they can look back and say, well, a ton of things happen. I, mean, I, I modeled this product and wrote about that one and, you know, did a video shoot for this thing. And we put that out in the world and this, this publication wrote about it. So it really has that, like the business we have essentially reinvents itself every day. And what that produces is a really cool work environment. So I'm 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 on it at all times. Like six o'clock in the morning, I'm dealing with uh, you know sometimes like inquiries from uh, the press overseas uh, for a product we're doing, and then trying to promote it broadly at that point, and then getting in and working on the news story of the day. So it's basically a daily news cycle at our business. It's it's interesting. You keep you keep referring to it that way. Like it's a blog. It's a newspaper. It's a thing that recurs. Because that's what people are. That's what people are used to seeing online. I mean, it, for me, it's sort of saying like, if you build a clothing company and you do it only online, it's got to look and act the way people act online, which is essentially nonstop pulses of new information. Yeah, interesting. And you know, for, for us, it's clothing. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. The thing that's it's there's a similarity between what you're doing and what I do, in that you you're putting on a show, right? And and Beta Brand has to put on a show every day. So we you know we we get around and bat around ideas. It's, it's very much of a pitch session of saying, all right, what's the product? What, what's the sort of creative uh, presentation we're going to have of it in image, video, and story? And then how and why would the web care about that? <laughs> so, so it's a, uh, we've long claimed that we're trying to create fashion-forwardable products that have some element of shareability to them or a reason for people to talk about it. And sometimes we nail it and sometimes we don't. And, I, and I'm sure the same thing is with uh, the podcast is sometimes people really connect with what you're doing and other times not so much. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we have a few episodes that just go nuts and get you know four times as much attention as anything else. But it's hard to, to predict what's going to work that way. So you have to get through some, some duds, some relative duds. Um, yeah. So this, this blog aspect of the, the sense of the thing changing every day, like where does that happen? Is that in your newsletter? Is that, is there like a blog section of the site? Cause if I go to the, the, the main landing page of this, of beta brand, does that stay relatively static? No, I think it, that changes every day, but again, it goes back to, so, you know, we have, uh, you know, a blog, we have, uh, uh, you know, Facebook account, we have newsletters. It's, it's all those things. But like I said earlier, the challenge is to sort of say, now that we're operating at that crazy rate, how do we get people to really appreciate that that's exactly what we're doing? Because if you look at the, the homepage right now, it's interesting, but still has a little bit of a static quality to it. And, and you know, there's ways of badging things and timestamping and, uh, and uh, you know, showing more data. 
those are the things that we're going to experiment with greatly. Yeah. You need like a big speedometer on there. Could be. I mean, my, my attitude is that, that that sounds interesting to me. It might not be that interesting to shoppers. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try it. And, uh, you know, we obviously now we have the luxury of having engineers who work for beta brand and, and product managers who can measure stuff. So if it ends up that that stuff doesn't convert well, well, then it probably won't come to life. Yeah. Are you guys, would you call, would you say you're pretty heavily data driven in the decisions you make? Uh, increasingly more so. I mean, I think the whole thing is this, once you have people who can do that, uh, it's really interesting to let data make your decisions. Uh, there's certainly grand creative decisions that I'm still making that uh, that are just sort of because they're funny. I mean, to give you an example, in our store, so we now have a store in San Francisco. It's attached to our office on Valencia Street. And we have a giant one, like basically a disgusting one-ton Santa Claus uh, with a humongous folded belly bursting out of its shirt. Uh, that people are getting their holiday photos with. Now, there's no data to drive that decision other than my belief that people will laugh at that during the holidays. And we now have an absurd amount of people lined up to take photos with, with like family photos with it. So that's kind of the gut-based, non-data-driven decision. But it's something that, you know, during the holidays could end up sending a fair amount of traffic to our site and our store uh, because we're the only one to offer the world's most disgusting Santa Claus. Uh, so I can't I can't say that data drove that. It's just more of a hunch that that's something people might want to talk about. Sure, and maybe next year you have like a a B option Santa, which is you know a slightly different angle. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. So we've touched on a lot of things. Are there any interesting nooks or crannies that we've kind of left unturned that you want to talk about? No, I mean I think the thing that's I, I'm I'm trying as hard as I can to think about uh, your your audience, right? I mean like. Uh, they're out there trying to figure out ways to make the web care about what they do. And the approach that we're taking quite honestly every day is to say, well, what if you did a clothing company that way too? And, uh, you know, it forces a a ton of testing, a lot of, you know, reading of data and seeing if that kind of process could be applied to the invention of a brand. And, uh, you know, at times it works unbelievably well and at other times, you got more work to do. But at this point, we now operate at a rate that is irreversibly fast. And uh, I dig it. Very cool. Um, well, I think that's all I have for you. It's, it's, but it's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. Cool. It's very good. Let me, say, let me give you three products that I think people might like this holiday season. How about oh, yeah, that? absolutely. Please do. Okay. So uh, number one, black sheep sweaters. I found a mill that would isolate literally the black sheeps of the flock from the white. Uh-huh. So we, if you're the black sheep of the family, you're literally wearing black sheep's wool. So that's a fun pro- holiday product. Uh, other product, world's most nauseating holiday pants. Uh, they literally have pictures of Santa puking up presents and uh, Rudolph retching up candy canes and Frosty puking snowflakes. So if you <laughs> if you go to ugly holiday uh, sweater parties, there's some pants you can wear with that now. You can destroy the competition with that. Exactly. Uh, how about dress pants, sweatpants? So these these are uh, pants that look like uh, sweatpants. Sorry, that look like dress pants, but are indeed made of French terry cloth. So you can fool anyone into believing that you're wearing fancy pants when in fact they're as comfortable as any pair of sweats. Sounds good. And that would work in the Thoughtbot office, no problem. Absolutely. We're fairly casual. All right. Well, Chris, thanks again. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. 
Very good. Nice talking to you. Have a great holiday season. Yeah, you too. Uh, if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 78. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Mike Manor and edited by Igor Stolarski. Thanks for listening. Thank you.